Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today, and thank you for tuning in. If my voice sounds a bit funny, yes, I'm still battling some sickness, so apologies for that right in advance. Today's podcast is a great episode. It's full of challenge and adventure, the exploration of personal limits, both physical and mental, dealing with the unexpected during hunting trips, making memories with friends and family in the field, hunting at an older age, and just filled with tidbits of both inspiration and practical wisdom. I know you guys are going to enjoy it today. We actually selected this podcast with our guests, Steve and Jessica, that you'll hear more about shortly, is the winner of our EXO Experience giveaway from this past fall. It was hard to do, uh, not because their story was hard to choose as one of the winners, but because there was so many great stories, photos, and memories that all of you guys shared with us from this past year, and we can't thank you enough for your participation. Um, one of the things that we really like about the EXO Experience giveaway is not that it's just like a marketing tool or some promotion or anything like that. For us, the biggest value is being able to connect with our customers and see how you guys, the listeners of the podcast and customers of Exo Mountain Gear, are using your gear in the field, how you are exploring your personal limits as you pursue hunts, and much more. So again, there is so much jam-packed into this episode, as well as some of the photo and story that Steve and Jessica shared with us. I won't spoil it, but needless to say, you guys will enjoy this episode, and if you want to see some more photos from this hunt, we will be sharing those shortly as of the time of this release of the podcast on our Instagram page as well, which you can find a link to in the show description. As always, guys, we thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, and we'd love to hear from you. But right now, let's dive into this conversation with Steve and Jessica. Well, Steve and Jessica, welcome to the Hunts Backcountry podcast. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So father and daughter here uh, to talk about a story that's um, a pretty special hunt, I'm sure, and we'll get into that. But first things first, um, just go ahead and give some introduction and background for who you are, where you're from, anything you want to share with the listeners. Uh, You're joining us today from Alaska. Um, What part, if I don't mind asking? Uh, We live in uh, Wasilla, Alaska, in the heart of the Matanuska Valley. Awesome. How long have you been up there, Steve? You know, I came here in the military back in the winter of 1984, 85. That's uh, and uh, came here as a, in the Air Force in Fairbanks, and and then uh, didn't got out up there, and then come down here and got married, and to my wife Christine, and we had our three kids, raised them right here in the spot we're talking right now, and uh, and uh, big outdoors. We spent a lot of time in uh, the mountains and the lakes and different things but and and uh, years go by so 35 <laughs> years plus later go by and here we are talking yeah. to you. 
So how long were you in Alaska, Steve, for the military when you're like, yeah, I don't think I want to leave. Um, I would say the first week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota, which uh, working on the farm, I did farm work until I left there. And then, uh, but mountains grabbed a hold of me immediately. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So you were already uh, quite into the outdoors well before your days in Alaska, it sounds like. Yeah. Before that, I was stationed in Colorado. Uh, so I got the mountain bug hiking around uh, the Colorado mountains. But, uh, you know, in Alaska, it was just a whole different mindset. You know, you get there and you get back in the uh, mountains. No one's coming to help you. So you got to be pretty self-sufficient. And uh, that actually... Uh, was something that really intrigued me. Was it like for you, Jessica, growing up in Alaska? And did you ever leave for schooling or anything like that? Or have you spent all your days up there? I have pretty much spent all my days up here. There's there's a lot of people in Alaska who grow up here. And once they get out of high school, they, they want to leave. They want to go anywhere else. But I never really had that desire. Like my dad, I've just been in love with the backcountry and the opportunities to get outside in Alaska is unlike anywhere else you go. So never really had the desire to leave, been here my whole life. And I don't think I'll be living anywhere else in the future. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I've come to realize, um, you know, having hunted Alaska a few times myself and understanding the logistical challenges of coming from the lower 48 is that Sometimes that isn't really that different, even for Alaska residents. Of there's still a lot of logistical challenges to hunt as a resident. You're still often looking at some flights or you know quite a bit of travel. Um, it's not like you can just always walk out your back door, but um, that obviously varies by hunt. But what does that look like for you, Steve? It's uh, have you ever got into flying yourself or anything like that? You know. I had a bug to fly years and years ago. And uh, at that time I didn't have money and then I got in a decent trade and then I had kids. And so uh, I don't want to say that they're the reason I didn't uh, fly, but I also was able to fly with a number of different people that I'd met. So, uh, but I never actually bought a plane or any of that, but thank goodness my daughter married a pilot. (laughs) Oh, there we go. (laughs) Yeah. So my, my husband, he's his, he grew up flying. His dad always had a a 180 airplane. So they, they grew up exploring um, the skies of Alaska. So I was pretty fortunate to find him and we don't have a plane of our own yet, but it's definitely on the bucket list for someday having our own plane. Yeah. So does he fly full-time? He does. He flies for a company called Ryanair up here in Alaska. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Well, that opens up some opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Definitely. Yeah. So Jessica, what, um, I'm sure there's many, but like, what are some of your earlier, more memorable, it doesn't even have to be a hunt, but call it uh, a backcountry adventure with your dad. What's some of the early ones that stick out to you? Oh gosh, there's so many. Uh, One experience that I will probably never forget and um, kind of opened my eyes to going on adventures with my dad. We we got out and we were hiking uh, just a local mountain here in the Matanuska Valley. It's called Lazy Mountain. We were up hiking that mountain and 
um, we had stopped to take a snack. We were eating some blueberries. My dad had brought some smoked salmon. And at that, that trip, we discovered that he was uh, kind of allergic to smoked salmon or to salmon. So he got <laughs> extremely not, sick. There is true. Yes. <laughs> wow. And so it was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm responsible here. I'm only like, I don't know, 14 years old. And I didn't know if my dad was going to be able to drive us home. I was helping him down the mountain. And so that's kind of a crazy experience and one that I will never forget as far as my dad having to rely on me to to help get us out. But also, um, you know, we were, we were so close to town. So um, even though it was kind of a scary thing, we weren't too far away from help at that point. And that's one of the earliest memories I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah. I can see why it sticks with you. That's for sure. <laughs> Being allergic to salmon. I don't know that I've heard of that before. Well, to be honest it's with you. actually a real thing. Uh, um, it's I, I, some experts say that it's probably the bacteria in the salmon. Once the salmon is cooked to a very high temperature or canned, I don't have a problem, but if you smoke it, and okay. it's this low smoke temp um, and everybody else. And it's salmon, the salmon bellies in, in particular, I don't know if you ever had, but they're real oily and probably got most bacteria. Man, I tell you what, within a half hour, I'll be so sick. Uh, I'll be down for the count. And the third time that happened, it's like, it was way worse. And yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So something now that we've already started talking about food a little bit, something that uh, relates to the hunt, but can be its own separate topic uh, that I wanted to touch on that you guys have brought up is Jessica, you had done a uh, essentially all of the food prep for this 10 day sheep hunt that we'll be talking about. And we've talked on the podcast before about do it yourself food options. And personally I've dehydrated quite a bit for my own backpack hunts. Um, and it's always a topic that folks are, are interested to learn about for sure. Um, and so what does that look like for you uh, when you say you've prepped the food for 10 days? Tell us some about what you do, uh, some of your maybe techniques, some recipes and what that looks like for a backcountry hunt like this. Yeah, absolutely. So this was actually the first year that I had um, decided that we were that I was going to make all of the dinners. I didn't want to bring any mountain house or anything like that. Because, well, one thing, you get kind of tired of eating Mountain House mm-hmm. every night. And with making your own, you know exactly what's in the food. You know what you're eating. And it usually has a, a way better taste as well. So this is the first year that I really committed to making all of the meals. And it being a 10-day hunt, uh, it took some uh, planning and <laughs> Normally we're only gone for four or five days. So making double the amount of meals and then having a group of four to prepare for as well was a little bit of a challenge, but I did get some good recipes. Um, I think the highlight recipe was the goat burger and pasta and red sauce meal. So that one was um, just, you know, dehydrating some goat burger that we had and then pasta and then making my own red sauce. Um, Standard dehydrating, we have a Cabela's dehydrator. It does the job. It has six trays. Um, You can do quite a bit at once. So my technique, because we were making so much food, was kind of planning out all the meals, what we were going to eat each day, and then just making huge batches of things. And 
putting things on the trays before I left for work and letting them sit all day and pulling them off at the end of the night and making sure everything was good. I tried to do the dehydrating fairly close to when we would be leaving on the hunt because I didn't want to have to package it too much or keep it preserved for a long period of time. So that probably the last, Oh, that made it real fresh. Yeah. yeah. The last two or three weeks before we left, I was just in the kitchen <laughs> on all my spare time working on dehydrating all these meals, but it was really fun. I learned a lot. Um, learned a lot about portioning as well. It's, it's a lot different when, it, when you make a big batch of food and then when you dehydrate it, it's so much smaller. So it's hard to make sure that you're getting the right portion for your meal when you go to cook it in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything but- that stands out for how you, how you manage that or what you would kind of do different now on portioning specifically? Yeah, I definitely learned that uh, rice is one thing that <laughs> it might look like you you have uh, or you don't have a lot in your bag, but when you go to rehydrate it, it's it makes a ton of rice. Yeah. So I would definitely adjust my portionings for that. Um, I think the pastas were were very good. They were very filling. Um, it's a good starch to have when you're just hungry at the end of a long hike. So I definitely would do um, more pasta dishes. Oh, I, I didn't think any of them were bad. Of course, they <laughs> <laughs> they were all awesome. I mean, but uh, I mean, I, I particularly liked uh, the breakfast because oh, in, yeah. the, in the past I've, you know, how you just eat some instant oatmeal and 10 minutes later you're hungry or you just threw whatever in your pack. These breakfasts, I tell you what, they held me for a long time. And I, and I noticed that right off. And uh, so I don't remember what your recipe on that was, but uh, yeah, yeah, so I've, the- I've never done breakfast. I'd love to hear more about what you did there, Jessica. Yeah. So it's, it's not anything crazy. Um, we actually, I actually kind of did combined a few different recipes from ones that I had found on the internet um, but it was basically a granola base and then added some egg white protein powder, some peanut butter protein or some peanut butter powder, excuse me, some almonds, um, coconut milk powder, and then just some dried fruits and berries and things like that. Um, so you could eat it hot or cold. So get a little bit of variation there, but it's basically just a big sack of granola and different powders and mm. it actually was really good you know, and like i said <laughs> it, it just lasted for a long as yeah. you're hiking and you know and it's just it just held with me for a long I time i think i did the calculation it had like i don't know 35 grams of protein yeah. and it just like my dad said it was just a good thing to eat that stuck with you did you guys try it both hot and cold i tried it both oh ways. absolutely yeah. yeah it was great hot and uh and uh, I had some actually left over from the hunt here. I just had last week. <laughs> I ate it. I enjoy it. It was, uh, but it, yeah, it was tasty, hot or cold. It was very good. And, you know, from over the years, different things, uh, it, it, I would definitely recommend bringing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you have that jotted down, just kind of mind sharing, I'd love to have you send it over. Yeah. I can definitely send you the recipe. Yeah. That sounds great. So, when it comes to the meals, whether it's, you know, one of those breakfasts or those main entrees you guys were doing for dinner, Jessica, what did you do for packaging and then reheating? So for packaging, like I said, I tried to make the meals 
fairly close to when we would be hunting. So I didn't have to store them for long periods of time. So for packaging, I, I just used, um, Ziploc bags and I stored them in the freezer until we left on the hunt. Um, and I just had them portioned out for each meal. When we went to reheat, um, we tried it a few different ways. Uh, first we tried doing a cold soak of the meal, uh, for a little bit and then adding some hot water to kind of warm it back up. That worked, but it didn't really work very well. So we tried also just heating up hot water in our jet boil and then adding the hot water into your, your bowl with your food and then just kind of letting it soak that way. And actually most of the meals, they rehydrated very well. And I think one of them was a little bit crunchy because I didn't let it sit enough time, but. Well, you know, you're so hungry in the evening. I was uh, laughed at because uh, I ate mine half crunchy because I was a dang. <laughs> There's dad eating his gravel again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, that's, and that's kind of the goal to kind of get it heated up within a few minutes. Mm -hmm. and, so you can eat it, but, uh, yeah, that's definitely true that, um, dehydrated meals versus freeze dried meals do take longer, um, to kind of rehydrate and, and get ready if you will. So that's the one thing I've noticed and personally use. Sometimes I bring a specific, like almost koozie to keep everything warm. And yeah. sometimes I just wrap it in my jacket when I'm sitting there. Um, but I try and Typically when I do like one of my DIY dehydrated meals, I try and let it sit for a good 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it's usually pretty good at that point. But as you said, there's some days where you just want to eat and get in bed and sometimes <laughs> yeah, you don't you want to wait patience. 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'd normally get back to camp and just put your food in a bowl, put the hot water in it, and then take care of your nightly camp activities, like putting on dry socks yeah. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And by the time you got all ready, the food was pretty warm and um, softened up at that point. Well, I think Davis was putting it in his jacket, uh, yeah. doing the jacket thing. And mm. I was kind of envious because I didn't have the patience to do that. <laughs> Mine was already gone at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier there was four of you on the hunt. So it was the two of you and I think Jessica, your husband, correct? Yes. And, and then, then who was the fourth? My brother, John, my older brother. <clears throat> okay, perfect. I love it. It's a full family yeah. affair. Well, yeah. we, we drew the tags and then my son said, well, I want to go. And then Davis was, well, I want to go. And I'm going, yeah, heck yeah, bring them. <laughs> yeah. That's more Packers right there. Yeah. So what did that look like? Even as a resident, uh, it was a draw tag. Was it something you had specifically been targeting this opportunity for a while and been putting in for a while, or, uh, obviously don't have to necessarily share the specifics of what tag it was and where, but, um, leading up to planning the hunt. It's not that secret it was the delta permit and it's a very coveted permit here in alaska and we put in for a year for years i've actually never drew it until uh, her and i drew it on a party permit so we both had permits yeah but, uh, my goal was if i got a ram that would be icing on the cake it was to get jesse Je jessica her ram but uh but uh, yeah that's something that you know uh, you might just draw if you're lucky once in your mm -hmm. life wow with the decades you have up there hunting steve is sheep the pinnacle for you do you kind of just enjoy everything or are you kind of a, a die hard after a certain critter or certain area type guy well it was mainly a sheep uh, initially and then it uh, went sheep and goats and any other hunting beside that was just fill in you know moose caribou just because i 
couldn't get out sheep hunting. It's, you know, it ain't like I even have to get something every time. It's just, you know, standing on that ridge after you've really pushed up the mountain. And that's, that's what, to me, what it was all about. You know, if you, if you have to, if somebody asks you, why do you do that? Well, they'll never understand because, (laughs) 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 but uh, so mainly sheep and goats, I would be the answer there. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying so hard not to derail this podcast because I am so close to finalizing my first goat hunt for this next year. And I'm like, so beyond excited. I'm like, all right, we have, we have a sheep story to talk about. Don't make this about your goat hunt, Mark. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll send you, I wrote a couple of stories and one was on Jessica's goat hunt a few years ago, but that's a whole nother that's talk. Story. <laughs> oh, please send those over though. I'd love to read them. She, uh, she got her first goat and uh, tell you we're the worst <laughs> mountain retrieval ever. Really, but, you know, we could go on and on, but that's, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, we probably yeah. don't want to get derailed. <laughs> yeah. Well, send me that story if you don't mind. I'd love to read it. Absolutely. So stepping back, uh, Steve, what was it like getting Jessica and your other kids involved with hunting? Um, it's obviously a way of life for for most folks really in Alaska. So it's probably not necessarily something where, oh, you had to be like necessarily like a strategic, um, I would say, in terms of some guys in the lower 48 to talk about wanting to get their kids into hunting, but it's just not as part of the culture for a lot of kids growing up, but I'm sure up there it was, it was probably more natural, I would say. Right. Absolutely. Early on, I did a lot of solo hunting and I've taken some Rams on solo trips and that's all great. I've heard stories from solo hunters and how great it was and it was good, but it ain't as good as having some people along on the hunt, especially your kids. I mean, it got to be where, uh, I don't really care if I take an animal, but my kids, if, if they got something that was over the top for me. So it was, it's, it's it, and, and it's, you know, I, early on, uh, I come to find out in later years when I took my boys with my daughter was maybe a little, little at home <laughs> stewing because she couldn't go. And I didn't really know this till later and later on. And well, guess what? She's now, now my go-to hunting partner. And, and uh, I think we're making up for lost time. <laughs> Definitely. That's awesome. Did that, was that interest kind of always there for you, Jessica, or did it get stronger as you got older? You know, uh, growing up, I, I was, I was more jealous that my brothers got to go and spend time with my dad. It wasn't so much the hunting aspect of it, but they were going out on, all these cool adventures and they'd come back with these just amazing pictures of being in the mountains. And uh, I think that part is what I was more interested in uh, early on. And when I was younger, but I was, to be fair, I was always pretty busy with sports and things like that and didn't really have the time, I guess, to go out and, or didn't think I had the time, but um, I, so I'm actually fairly new to, to hunting myself. I didn't actually start going out hunting with my dad till about six or seven years ago. Um, but now, like my dad said, we're making up for lost time. <laughs> so cool. Was this Jessica, the first time that you were looking at going out for a solid 10 day hunt? Was this past sheep hunt? Yes. This was the longest hunt that I've ever been out on. Um, like, Previously, we'd been out maybe four or five day hunts, but yeah, 10 days is the longest I've ever been out for. Yeah. Were you uh, apprehensive or nervous about that at all? Or did you feel pretty confident? 
there, I mean, I was, I was just really excited for the whole thing. Um, there was a little bit of just kind of, uh, you know, you're going to be out there for 10 days. A lot can happen in 10 days. You're not quite sure what your weather window is going to be like for that long period of a time. Um, you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere. The only connection to the, the real world is through our um, in-reach. Um, so I was a little bit nervous in that aspect, but mostly just excited. I knew the, the three people that I was going with, I trust them all with my life. So I knew if anything happened, we'd, we'd have each other. And I was more excited than, than nervous, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So was your, um, your husband, was he key in this in terms of flying you in or what were, what were the logistics of approaching this hunt? What did that look like? Uh, so he did not fly us in. Um, we had a flyout service based out of Delta Junction. They flew us out. Um, we we uh, was a Super Cub. Yeah, it's yeah. a Golden Eagle out of uh, Delta. Real nice guy, Jim. He he one at a time. He ferried us out mm-hmm. back in the mountains and took a while, but uh, <clears throat> fortunately yeah. we had good weather. Yeah. How does that? Um... How did you approach this? With it being a draw tag, had you ever been in or near this country, Steve? Did you were you kind of familiar with it in any way, or did you have to kind of do a lot of research, maybe talking to some other folks to really uh, understand that specific area that you're going into? Well, I had a a, a good friend of mine who drew the permit uh, like six, seven years ago, and he just raved about all the rams and don't pick the first one and. And that's so our mindset was we're going into this Shangri-La sheep hunt and uh, come to find out the, uh, the numbers were way down and uh, from six years ago. And we, we really had to work to even find a legal ramp. And it was, it was a struggle. And we've seen sheep, but the rams that I had in my back of my mind weren't, weren't, weren't uh, materializing like they were supposed to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. <And laughs> but this is I the Alaska also- range, correct? Yeah, and and also I drew the uh, the toke management. It's another draw hunt in the same range up there uh, years ago. So I, you know, I was familiar familiar with the area only uh, only because of of you know you, you're here this long in Alaska. You're you get to know maybe not specifics of the area, but the area in general. Mm-hmm. But so I had a little background anyway. So that was good. Yeah. So was the plan to get all, as you said, all shuttled in, flown in, set up a base camp, uh, near that location and then go out from there for three, four five days and kind of spike out. Or what did the logistics of attacking this hunt look like from that perspective? Yeah. Well, we are flying in, get dropped off and then we're hiking immediately. We're trying to get, uh, up to maybe 10 miles back in even, uh, uh that was the plan. And, and, uh, and that's what we did, you know? So that uh, worked out pretty slick as far as that goes. We we did have two separate camps. So the first day we hiked in maybe five or six miles and made for our first camp. And we did spend uh, a night there. And then the next day we we moved further up. And the second camp was our permanent camp. We didn't move after that one. So we did kind of have like a base camp. It was just eight or 10 miles back into the valley. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and we basically made that, I don't, I and mean, we didn't have that planned. We just were, 
hey, our packs, our camps on our back, and and we're just going to keep moving until we think we find a nice location to to stay. And that's kind of probably why we stayed put there because mm-hmm. we had access to a lot of different areas. So, yep. So were you then able to uh, glass from camp, or it was just putting you in proximity to hit maybe a few different drainages or bowls to then go glass? Yeah, we. You could glass from camp, um, but, uh, you know, it's our main plan was to hike out and then get on different spots and glass from there. So this was, and this was an August time, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Opener. We yeah. got in the day before the opener, the 10th, 9th. How was the weather for the first part of the hunt? <laughs> the first day was beautiful, sunny weather. Um, one of the nicer days that you can ever expect to have on a hunt. We, we generally had pretty good weather. We did have a few days where there was a low hanging fog and kind of like a misty rain. So those days are pretty difficult to hunt because you couldn't see anything. Um, but for the most part, we had decent yeah. weather. I mean, luckily. Yeah. That low hanging fog day was day five and I was so thankful <laughs> <laughs> just to have a break. <laughs> it's like I, I'm well these guys are in their 20s I'm in my late 50s and I'm thinking man I need a break <laughs> thankfully the rain came in and well then it cleared off and we still hiked several miles that <laughs> afternoon but uh yeah <laughs> so touch on that you uh you had both sent me kind of some brief bullet points talking points before this and Steve you mentioned in yours being older and being a backpack hunter. Uh, and then Jessica, I kind of got a chuckle. You separately said, uh, mm-hmm. hunting as an older hunter. And then you had in parentheses, my dad thinks he's getting old. <laughs> we try to keep him young and he's not old. <laughs> well, that, like I say that, that fifth day, my mind was not, was guys kind of out of it because push, 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 you know, and we hiked up all them drainages and camps and pushing up the river and it's like man and i uh, when the when uh, that fifth day came and i said oh thankfully a break and then there wasn't a break later in the afternoon but but then that was the day that we i think was that the day we actually spotted yep. the the initial ram that we were going to go for but we didn't get and uh, and that was yeah that would have been day five day five no day, day six, six yeah. day six yeah. yeah okay so were you seeing rams leading up to this just not anything that looked legal or worth pursuing we 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 did but uh you know sublegal rams there was one possible one maybe on day two but it didn't look like it was there and it was a long ways away but so we uh we, not not a lot. We didn't see a lot of rams, uh, really. There were a number of drainages that we hiked up for hours and didn't see a single single ram, not even like a lamoured <laughs> ewe. Right? We had one valley that we called No Ram Valley because it had nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing in it. it. It was also the valley six, seven years prior when my buddy was there. He's they seen rams all over. He said, "Don't pick, don't take the first one." And so we're so pumped going up there, and then. <laughs> We don't see a sheep, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned in uh, even before we were planning on a podcast, Steve, you had sent us an email just with a little bit of the story and some photos, which we certainly appreciated. And uh, you said in there, "There's nothing that can test you more physically, emotionally, even spiritually, 
than a backpack hunt in the mountains. Um, I can certainly relate to that, but I also don't have the decades of experience that you do. How do you, how do you think about that or look at that differently now than you did 10, 20, 30 years ago? Not so much from a, yeah, I'm older and it's, you know, it's a little bit more difficult now because I don't have the same energy or stamina, but kind of that, that whole aspect to the value and the test that it is to backpack hunt in the mountains. Well, you know, it's such a mind game. Um, you you got to push yourself through physical pain and then you got uh, mental anguish when you're, um, you know, say you can't get to the spot where you, or you got to, so you missed a shot and then you got spiritually, Hey, look at what was, uh, look at what's made and before us, you know, you got to have a, a belief system there, but uh, it's, and as an older hunter now, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's for me, it's just getting back in there and, and uh, being able to live this experience now that I enjoyed so much and to be able to share it with my, my kids. And so, uh, but yeah, I, it's, it's, I hope I can keep uh, <laughs> hiking these Hills as long as I can, but you know, it, uh, and you experience all these emotions, you know, I mean, it, it is uh emotional experience and spiritual and like i said it's just uh, it's, it's actually even kind of hard to explain unless you've been able to experience this yourself mm-hmm. some people don't understand it no. you know i mean they look at you think you're nuts but uh it's it's a whole different game when you're standing on the ridge and you're looking at over the, all this country and you're going wow There's- this is amazing there's big glaciers cracking in the background and rivers running by you and just beautiful sunsets, sunrises. It's you're just in the middle of nature, which is so cool. Yeah. And then the times you got to spend three, four days in your camp because it's pounding rain and wind. You know, yep. there's a <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe the unknown too is what's uh, kind of addicting. You know, you just, don't know what's going to happen. You got to respond to things that uh, happen to you. And, and uh, I don't know, it's uh, maybe I'm not explaining it well, but. Uh... <laughs> no, I think that's good. It, it, it is hard to put into words. Having had some experiences like that myself, it's yeah, it, it's, it's tough to put into words and to kind of recap it for sure. You mentioned, uh, as well, river crossings. And Jessica, that's even one thing you highlighted is some of the lessons learned while doing yeah, water she's crossings. Got, she's got so. bad experiences in there that troubling her to this day. Yeah, so uh, that is definitely one thing as a female that, you know, I'm I'm not as physically strong as the, the people I hunt with. And so when they look at a river crossing, especially when my, my husband is six foot four, so he's he's tall. Um, when a river comes up to his knee, it's coming up to my, my waist. Like, so there's a difference for, for me when it comes to river crossings. And I've really had to, uh, build up my confidence in that area because in Alaska, the, the rivers change, you know, especially ones that are glacier fed, they can be running really hot when the glaciers warming up and melting, but then the next day they could come down a, a significant amount. So I, I've had some experiences on previous hunts where, uh, 
I didn't quite make the river crossing and have fallen into the into the creek and just it's pretty traumatizing having water just dumping over your head. But it and, was also flood water yeah. condition. We were hiking out <laughs> in a flood. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's pretty scary. So I've learned my lessons over the years. And uh, I mentioned earlier that I can trust the, the guys that I'm hunting with. So we've come up with a system where they actually have built like a shield wall and they'll shield the current from me and I can kind of cross behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been really helpful uh, uh, attack that we've used to get across some of these, these higher level rivers and creeks and things like that. Um, One specific thing that happened on this hunt is uh, we were trying attempting to cross the river at one point and my husband was out kind of scouting an area to make the crossing and all of a sudden we see him waving his arms and he's pointing and his, his trekking pole had come bobbing down the river next to us. And he had forgotten to strap his, um, hand, like the tie handle around his wrist and ended up having to chase his trekking pole a half mile downstream to, to catch up to it. So just want to remind everyone to uh, make sure you got your mm-hmm. trekking poles attached to you. Yeah, you got her though. <laughs> yeah, you did get it. Um, but yeah, just just river crossings in general are are a whole different thing up here. Uh, yeah. We we've kind of come to the mentality that we're just gonna you're gonna get wet. So what we do instead of trying to stay dry is we usually have a like a wet setup I guess so we'll, we'll actually hike in our tennis shoes and like an old pair of long yeah. johns or something yeah like we that. just charge through the river and just keep rolling and it's like it used to be uh oh, stay dry stay dry yeah we, we don't even do that no more just, just plan on getting wet and then have your dry set ready to go when you get to wherever you can camp or you know where you're going to hunt from. Yeah. And that's a lot different. I think than what some people will do. I mean, even when we were getting flown out, the pilot kind of looked at us like, why are you bringing tennis shoes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's something we've learned. It's, it's a whole lot easier mm-hmm. to just plan to get wet than to, to be always trying to avoid it. Well, and then, you know, them cold glacier crossings, your, your feet can be numb, yep. but mm-hmm. within five minutes, your feet are warm back up again. Yeah. You just tough, tough through that cold. Yeah. It's uh, both in Alaska trips as well as some even lower 48 stuff. I, you know, used to avoid, as you guys said, getting wet or getting wet and cold a lot more for crossings. But once you do it, yeah, you quickly realize you get to the other side and you're still cold, but then five minutes later when you're hiking, you kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Um, and it's just not always a big deal. Hopefully stay upright, Jessica, and not, <laughs> not go under. That's a different story. But. Yeah, yeah. We remember grabbing her twice uh, as she uh, flipped down the river and uh, fished her out. Years uh, ago. Well, it was about three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was your first sheep hunt, actually. No, that was Dave, when Davis. Oh, no. Got that was when ramp. Davis got his ram. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But first, first experience with really high water. And knowing that we have to cross in order to get out too is another thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're skipping ahead. If we go back to day five, day six of the hunt. So feel free to like bring us back. If there's anything in those first handful of days that are worth talking about, but in terms of it sounds like day five, day six used to kind of start to get on some sheep and I don't want to say the hunt begins, but you definitely have some, some sheep to consider and potentially go after. 
Yeah, I, I'd just like to say, well, I was so convinced that we were going to have a ram by day five at the latest day six. <laughs> I actually shortened my food and I whittled it down and I, uh, uh, you know, uh, I thought, well, all that weight, I ain't going to pack all that stuff. Well, guess what? Day day five came and I'm already looking at, hmm, uh, I'm starting to divide my breakfasts in half. And and I think I ran out of meals and I was eating whatever. Of course, uh, they were getting a big chuckle out of that. And, uh, <laughs> thankfully, uh, Davis, he, uh, he was uh, planning for a 20-day sheep hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and he was carrying his food baby, but he wasn't letting loose of it right off the bat. Uh, I can, and so I had plenty of food, but I just wanted to throw that in there. It was kind of funny. Yeah. So do you, all that being said, you kind of pack on feel when it comes to food, not super particular on, you know, measuring out calories per day or anything like that? I think we're kind of particular on measuring out calories. I mean, maybe not calories so much, but I always figure what, two pounds a day, roughly two pounds a day rule of thumb, but still it's a if you're already past that two pounds a day and you're starting to get low, uh, then it's things that start going through your mind. Like, Oh man, maybe I should be raiding their backpack in the middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, that, that's part of why you have kids is to help you. Yeah, with stuff yeah, like that, I was right? into bartering, trying to trade this for that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. So we were, we were starting to, like by day five, day six, we were starting to feel the pressure of, um, mm. You know, okay, we got to make something happen, not only food-wise, but uh, we only have a few few more days to to get things done. And we also had sent a message to our friend on the inReach for a weather update, and he had let us know that there was supposedly going to be a big snowstorm coming in uh, a couple of days out. And so we knew we had to do something in the next day or two, uh, otherwise we would probably miss our opportunity. So day day. Six. Well, I, I believe day four, we actually spotted the ram that you end up getting. Yeah. But it was in a, such of a spot, we could have never, it, it didn't appear that we could safely ever make a stock on it. No. And, and then it, we never seen that again. And then that's the one uh, we end up getting on day seven. Mm-hmm. It was on the other side of the mountain. But, uh, but yeah, the, the weather report had us like, oh, man, we're going to get snowed on. It's going to be bad. and. <laughs> yeah sometimes that's uh more harm than goods uh, these weather reports and things we never used to have all this stuff all i had was a topo map and didn't care what came but but no it's good to have too i don't want to uh say that but uh yeah well especially even for when when you're doing a fly-in hunt right knowing of okay there's a window here and then maybe not another window for three or four days too right yeah. So anyways, it's probably day six and we had decided to go up this saddle and peek over into um, kind of a parallel valley. We had been exploring this right hand side valley and as we said, weren't seeing much of anything. So we decided to peek over into the next valley and see if we could maybe have better luck there. So we we climbed up um, to this lower saddle area and did some glassing from there and mm. we spotted one of the largest yeah, rams was a, yeah. I've ever seen. It was, I mean, I don't have 30 years of experience, but 
it was huge. Well, it was, and I and I don't know who come up with the nickname, but we named it the pig. Yeah. And so <laughs> the, the pig was up and over the mountains, down, cross the river, up the other side. So he was a ways off. And like I said, at, at that time, I was like, I, my, my body's talking to me and I knew exactly what they're going to want to do the next day. It's like, oh, they're going to want to go for this thing. And so I'm already trying to convince myself that sure enough, uh, that was our goal on yep. day seven is we're going to hike up to the top of the ridge of the mountains, hike down to the river. Hopefully we can cross and then hike up the other side of the mountains to the pig and, and <laughs> see how it was going to work out for us. The pig. So yeah. The pig, yeah. It was nice, big bases on it. It was huge. And uh, I don't know, it was at distance wise when we glassed it, it was probably what, several miles away, maybe yeah. on the other side of the mountain. And it was when we spotted it, it was later in the evening. So we we knew we wouldn't have time that day to, to make the stock. So the plan was to get up um, the next morning and, like my dad said, go up and over and try to go after pig. <laughs> um, so that was the plan. The next morning we got up, we're, we're really excited. Um, cause finally there's a, a legal ramp and you know, we're in our weather window. So we get up, we make our way back up to this saddle and we're glassing over and the, the pig ram had actually been in a group of three. So we were, we were looking for these three rams again. We kind of had an idea of where they would be because we had watched them bed down the night before. And right off the bat, we spotted um, two of the three in that group, but pig was not there. Yeah, I've been dreaming about <laughs> this pig all night long, and then pig is not there. <laughs> so then I'm glassing, and uh, all of a sudden I see this, this dark figure kind of walk back and forth. And my heart just dropped and another hunter had come up the valley in the night or in the more early morning. Uh. And he actually was successful. He got this monster ram that we were so excited to oh, go yeah. after. Yeah. Talk about all your emotions. Uh, yeah. as we talked about earlier. That was uh, a huge down downer. Wow. So we're, we're yeah. pretty discouraged yeah. at this point. Uh, we watch him, you know, he kicked the ram down to a safer spot so he could clean, do the cleaning and things like that. And it was probably 10 o'clock in the morning. At oh, that we were there point, earlier. We get up early. We're going to hike light and we got a blast over the mountains and we're going to try to get there by early afternoon. Yeah. So <clears throat> at that point we're, we're at kind of a loss, like, man, that was the, the animal we were going after. You know, it was really the only one that we knew was going to be legal but my my older brother he is the most positive person that you will ever meet and he didn't even think twice about seeing this other hunter he immediately starts looking for other options and quit looking over there don't yeah. even look at him you said or somebody said. <laughs> and we, we have we've kind of developed this uh saying over the years it's called pma so positive mental attitude so whenever negative things happen we're always kind of rallying around and just yelling like PMA. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I, I was told that when once thrashing through alders and maybe some very uh, bad words came out of my mouth and, and my daughter says, PMA, dad, PMA, what's PMA? <laughs> Positive mental attitude. That's what our coach taught us in running because 
they ran their, she ran through college uh, uh, on a scholarship at UAA and cross country and stuff. And sometimes I struggle with PMA, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it does help. Yeah. Right. So, anyways, we're channeling this, this positive mental attitude and not letting the disappointment of um, mm-hmm. seeing our, our RAM get taken. Um, and my brother, or it was either my brother or Davis ends up spotting way off in the distance on the same side of the mountain that we're on uh, a ram way back in the, in the t- farthest away spot you can imagine. And we, at this point, we, we, we don't even know if it's legal. We don't know, you know, how, fa- like if it's even a ram, but at this point we don't really have any other options. So we decide, well, we might as well go take a closer look at this one. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think the range finder. Would pick no, it, it was, was uh, it was a ways away. I, I don't remember the distance, but yeah, it was so, a long way. It was worth getting a closer look though, yeah. for sure. And so yeah. that began the all day stock on the, yeah. the ram. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly <laughs> all day stock. It's, and it was a, and it was in a nasty uh, spot laying on this little uh, uh, outcropping. Mm-hmm. And we had to walk this nasty spine to get, I, I didn't even think we were going to get close to it, but no. we, we had to look and, you know, every Avenue kept opening. Oh, it looks like we can get a little further. And, but uh, one of the comical things on the, on that stock I thought was we, so we came over this little lip and this ewe is working right up to us. And we didn't want to spook this ewe because, you know, maybe the rams would be curious and they'd walk off and see why this ewe was running. So Jessica gets up and she walks on her all <laughs> fours and starts crawling around like a dog. <laughs> I don't even know what made you do that. I just Well, <laughs> we had done it before on a previous hunt when there was a, a animal or a ram kind of that was going to bust us if we... We had two options at that point. We could wait and wait for the, the animal to find us. And we didn't know how long that would take, or we could, you know, try to gently nudge it away from our path that we're trying to follow. So I was just trying to be as non-threatening as possible and just kind of went out on all fours and just crawled around. I was sitting there laughing. Yeah. I was just kind of going like, Hey, you know, I'm friendly. Don't mind us. We're just, (laughs) we're just out here. peaceful. (laughs) You know, and that you looked and we're watching just curious and she just walked slowly up the mountain, kept looking back and she just slowly walked off. Yeah. So it's out of our uh, way. Never. And she never even spooked. Um, (laughs) so that was pretty cool. Uh, that was one pretty funny. Yeah, aspect we, we hadn't the put the whites on yet at that point. We we're yeah. just four of us walking up this gnarly ridge. <laughs> uh, but eventually we got to the point where we were about 600 yards away from the ram. And at that point uh, we had determined it was legal and uh, it was, we were going to go for it. So at that point, my dad and I put on our whites, which is we're just some painter suits. Um, which that was the first time my dad had actually used white. Well, I've, I've, I've brought them along many times, but never used them. Um, and, and they do work they, and they work well. Yeah. But, uh, this was the first time I actually used them on a stock, believe it or not. But, uh, mm. And the, everybody got a big kick out of it. We were two <laughs> wild and crazy guys with our little whites on, you know, <laughs> 
so we were able to, with the whites on, we're able to close the gap from 600 yards to, uh, I think the rangefinder said 314 yards. Uh, at that point, we weren't able to get any closer just because of the terrain and where the rams were sitting. We would have been pretty exposed if we were to try to close the gap farther. So we kind of settled in and um, hoped to hope for the best. And um, well, the way the rams were sitting, because it was two of them actually together, but they were laying down and facing towards us. So we really just had like the front cavity as a yeah. target which isn't very big when you're yep, that you far had, away. You had the chest and the brisket area and that was basically it. Uh, yeah. And we knew the, at 300 yards, um, the rifle that I was using the, or the bullet would be dropping about seven inches. So we were kind of factoring that into the shot as well. And my dad kind of, he's like, just aim for the nose. Mm -hmm. So I'm aiming for the nose and um, take a few deep breaths make the shot happen and the ram immediately just stands up doesn't really move he's just acting pretty dazed uh, the buddy that was with him immediately took off he was getting the heck out of dodge all we could see were rocks flying but the ram we were targeting was just kind of standing there not really moving um, so i was able to take a few more shots but the second and third shot were not successful just from the excitement and um, adrenaline. So didn't, those were two misses. Yeah. And I was yelling at her reload, shoot again. <laughs> Cause the Ram is standing there. I yeah. mean, it's just standing there. It had, have walked a little bit. Yeah. Reload. So I reach for my extra <clears throat> ammo pouch and realize that I had left it back at the packs. And oh, so I realized no. I didn't have any more ammo. So at that point, um, cause my dad also had the tag, so it was okay for him to, to also take a shot. So he, at that point kind of <clears throat> shot at the Ram as well and was able to finalize everything and the Ram, you know, we were ultimately successful between the two of us. We were a good team. <laughs> well, and we, and, and we thought that she had missed that first shot. And we, after the first shot, they, you know, like it stood up and milled around and we were able to get closer. And I, I was able to crank off two shots and I, and I didn't know that I'd hit it, but it fell down. And so at that point we thought that I'd got this ram and I'm thinking, I am not happy about this. <laughs> and it, we weren't jumping up in joy. This wasn't my ram to get. This was Jessica's ram. This is, and it's like the strangest feeling. And I'm thinking, God. I didn't, I didn't want to shoot a ram, <laughs> but we, so we get over there to it and, uh, and sure enough, and we didn't roll it over. I, I see two holes in, in this, in the body, but they're not killing shots. They're actually uh, below the chest and lower. And I'm looking at it going, it didn't dawn on me yet. I'm, they're not killing shots. And well, let's go get our backpacks and, and so we hike back to get the backpacks and then what we run into Davis. Halfway. Yeah. So Davis and my, my brother, John, they had been watching the whole thing happen through the spotting scope and we got up to them and like kind of mixed feelings. And they were both like that first shot was a hit. Like you guys that whoever took that first shot, they, they, they hit the animal. And so at that point we kind of figured out that I was actually successful and, 
then we got back to the ram and rolled it over and sure enough there was the entrance wound from mm-hmm. right you know right yeah in the front. that was the that was the shot that did it yeah he was standing there dazed and it would probably would have laid down right there if we didn't know that yeah mm-hmm. so that was kind of the adventure of, um an all day all day stock finally coming to an end it the the place that the ram finally came to rest there was this big glacier in the background it was just pictures worth a million words but that that yeah. picture was probably priceless is just amazing and it was yeah. also on this little ledge you know as we're cleaning it one step backwards and you'd have flipped down at least 30 feet onto the rocks and you know you but you never i mean you realize what's there and you just do what you got to do and and uh <clears throat> but yeah we she was able to get it and we were we were joyous and celebrating at that time <laughs> yeah wow man it's uh you know it in the moment like the lows of that other ram getting shot and the difficulties of even getting into the country it's like those are such tough moments but it it makes the story and the adventure and like the accomplishment after overcoming that stuff even that much sweeter absolutely and uh, well we'd nicknamed this ram the flare guy and and like i said we we're convinced it was the one we'd seen a couple days earlier because we called that one the flare guy it was just over the top all he had to do was go up and over so this was the flare guy and uh <laughs> yeah. as we watched him two days prior he was button heads with his buddy and we watched him for what an hour just and it was pretty cool to see him just how they're interacting with each other yeah wow so what was uh, what was that like, Jessica? <laughs> when it when it was over, when you get recovered, you're with your dad, your husband, your brother. Amazing place, amazing animal. It's probably probably hard to put into words. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty indescribable feeling. Just, I mean, at that point, all the things that had happened up to where we were standing, um, it just felt so awesome. <laughs> um, and then just being there with my the three people that I truly admire and look up to and um, my dad, my brother, my husband, just, I don't know, I can't even describe it. It was just a great moment, something that I'll remember for the rest of my life and um, just, a, just a wonderful experience. And yeah, I, I guess I can't really put it into words. <laughs> yeah. And then we still had to pack yeah (laughs) right i was gonna say the hunt's not over so so how'd the rest of this go but so we we didn't really realize how far back we had gone to to get to where the ram was at until we did have to start packing it back and it 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 was a long oh yeah through some nasty countries but thankfully we had the packers with us yeah we had the packers union (laughs) of my brother and my husband (laughs) They were always trying to negotiate uh, when they were going to pack for us and uh, when they weren't. And pretty soon all these obscene uh, demands were coming. (laughs) From uh, the Packers Union. (laughs) Yeah. Plus they could start holding food away from you, Steve. That's right. They could work a deal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, we made it back to camp, no issues, and uh, uh, we were packed up the next morning and co- got in contact with the pilot who was going to be picking us up, and it was pretty smooth sailing from there on out. We had decent weather for the, the next day pack out, and 
He wasn't able yeah. to get us though. He had to come in. So actually we got flown out, I think day nine yep. of our 10 day hunt. So, yeah. Uh, and I wasn't concerned about food at that point because I could non cheat meat. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Wow. Well, man, that's a, that's an amazing, amazing experience. Um, we'll have to share some photos so listeners can kind of see the country and, and see the Ram and, uh, man, congrats to you guys. It's so cool to, to have any hunt like that period, much less to do it as a family and a father and a daughter and, um, yeah, husband and brother there. That's really special. Oh yeah. It was. It don't get any better than that. It no. was pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. Any, uh, didn't even ask after this, this was August. If you guys have any, uh, other hunts this fall that are pretty cool. Well, I, been going to Kodiak every year with some buddies. Uh, uh, they know a guide uh, and a real, real good guy down in, down in Kodiak. And so we've been going out there uh, doing some deer hunting and doing some work for them. And, and what time uh, did you go this year, this fall? I was right at the end of September, beginning of October. And okay. uh, my, one of my hunting buddies, he's 68 <laughs> and he was actually able to score his first goat. It was a it was a nice goat, about eight and uh, didn't make nine inches, I don't think, but it was real nice goat. And so him and I packed it off the top of the mountain. <laughs> wow. So uh yeah. Um and now we're deep into putting for in for our uh, drawing permits and planning next year, you know, and see what what comes up. So yeah. As we're recording this, it's uh, December 17th. So I know the non-resident draw uh, entry period just closed on the 15th. What does it look like for a resident? S- same thing. It's same. 15th. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Got it. And then I, oh yeah. And then just uh, well, last week, uh, Davis uh, had a, had a moose permit. We were able to fill that. Um, so we got moose meat in the freezer with some doll sheep in the freezer and goats and meat in the freezer. We're, yeah. we're kind of got a mixed bag. So we're, it's, we're been, pretty, <laughs> it's been a pretty like blessed year as far as yes, absolutely. Meat. that's great. Well, guys, I'm so glad you uh, were able to join us and share the story. And again, thanks for even originally reaching out and sending us the pictures. And it's, uh, it's always fun to see our packs go on adventures like this. And then to hear from folks like yourself, who got to use them on hunts like this and, and say good things. And uh, it's, it's super fulfilling for, for us as well. So thanks for making us a part of it. I, I wasn't lying when I sent that in. I, I, I've never sent a, a, a review of any item ever until your <laughs> backpack. And when I got back, you know, my shoulders did not hurt like they used to do all the time. <laughs> yeah. So what's, uh, what's going on? And it's so, man, the thing was adjusted and fit me just right. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, this was the first year I had, I've been using kind of hand-me-down packs on previous hunts. And this was the first year with the XO pack that I actually felt confident in the backpack I was wearing and it it wasn't sliding around. It wasn't getting hung up on things like it. It just is a game changer, really, in terms of having a a good piece of gear. I don't know. How did you even find out about it? I mean, because I was actually looking at buying other packs until you turned me on to this. Yeah, well, my husband, Davis, he's a huge gearhead. He he has every little doodad and gadget that you can imagine. And so he's the one that actually had um, recommended that I check, check out XO and he had heard about it on a podcast or he 
something, but after I looked, cause I was in the market to look for a new pack and did my research and decided to go with EXO. And I'm really glad that I yeah, did. Yeah. And then she told me <laughs> and then it's like, okay, yeah, this is, it uh, worked out real well. I, yeah. I really pre- you guys made a real nice product. Appreciate yeah. that. Good. Thank you. More yeah. Well, yeah, be sure to stay in touch and let us know how it goes on future hunts with them. Absolutely. Well, that is a wrap on this one, guys. I hope you enjoyed that story and pulled something from it. And regardless of your context, maybe you're not going to hunt Alaska, maybe you're not going to hunt sheep, I would challenge you to seek adventure in a way where you are exploring your personal limits and also sharing that journey with others, be it friend or family. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you share it with a friend or family member, leave a review where you're able, or contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon.